Did you know that the 4th of July is on a Thursday this year? That's going to be a full weekend of fun out on the deck. Four days. But if your deck isn't what it used to be and you aren't using it for great family gatherings, you need to call my friends at All Weather Decks. All Weather Decks is a 24-time winner of the Angie Super Service Award. And they probably help one of your neighbors. Click on the map link at allweatherdecks.net. Call All Weather Decks today at 913-206-1974 or go to allweatherdecks.net and mention you heard it on 810. Call now and relax. Garrett's in and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 a.m. and 94.5 FM. It is Tuesday, and it's another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 a.m. ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Garrettson and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and northeast Kansas for years. Also, be sure to visit Kim Howard and Associates Agency at 105th and Metcalf in Overland Park, or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. And if you call that number and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift, Kim and her team at American Family Insurance will give you a $10 gift card to Starbucks to use one, to use on whatever you would like, coffee, tea, breakfast items. It's your $10. All you got to do is call that number at 913-649-2002 and mention that you heard Kim Howard's ad here on The Shift. A little bit of an unorthodox start to the show today, and we are just a little bit about 10 minutes behind on our show, but I found this tweet. From Dove Kleinman on Twitter, at NFL underscore Dove Kleinman, does a great job covering the NFL, has a trustworthy following as well. Over 129,000 followers, actually about 129,500 followers on Twitter. He reported this about 15 minutes ago. Report Patriots coaches were instructed not to be too hard on Mac Jones in an effort to protect him from being too critical of himself. There was an issue in 2021 with Jones struggling after getting yelled at. Sources told Henry McKenna at McKenna Analysis on Twitter. She's an AFC East reporter for Fox Sports. So definitely around the area and covering the New England Patriots. What is fascinating about this is... It's something we've kind of always seen with Mac Jones, and we have talked about Mac Jones a few times on this show, and this will probably be the theme of this show, the shift that is, for the offseason, right? When we're talking NFL, it's not always going to be Chiefs-centric because the Chiefs are not always in the news. Sometimes it's going to be somebody elsewhere in the AFC or the NFC, for that matter, where a storyline emerges. But I didn't want to go through today's show without at least mentioning this Mac Jones story. If you have listened to The Shift before, you would understand that I am not a very big fan of Mac Jones. He seems a bit whiny. Uh, He seems very entitled to that position. I thought the Patriots were better last year when Bailey Zappi was on the field. I mean, Mac Jones, even through the draft, when he was coming out of Alabama, never felt like a high-ceiling type of quarterback. Yeah, he could have fit in in New England because Tom Brady was never a high-ceiling quarterback. But it was ridiculous and foolish to think that they could channel 
some sort of Tom Brady within Mac Jones because both quarterbacks weren't as mobile, both didn't have a very big arm. Thing is, though, Tom Brady was very coachable early on. I'm not sure Mac Jones is as coachable. We go back to that, I want to say it was a Thursday night game, maybe a Monday night game. It was a primetime game, and it was against Buffalo. And Buffalo came into Foxborough. I made the stupid decision to roll with Mac Jones and the Patriots because I thought New England defense would be able to force a couple of turnovers on Josh Allen, and the running game would be effective for New England. But going back to that game, Mac Jones was terrible. He turned it over a couple of times. He was completely inaccurate. And as he's jogging off to the sideline, he's ripping the coaching staff. And he gets caught on camera mouthing the words, we need to throw the effing ball. And Ramondre Stevenson for New England had been running the ball at a very effective rate in that game. And Mac Jones was terrible. And that, to me, pretty much cemented every idea or opinion I ever had on Mac Jones. That he wasn't this guy that was, you know, head down, going to grind it out, not going to blame anybody else. If he played poorly, he's putting it on his shoulders. Mac Jones, in my opinion, coming out of the draft, seemed a bit whiny. Early on in his career, I thought he was whiny. I thought he was a very underperforming quarterback. I thought he was boring to watch. And then when you get the attitude problem, that's what cemented everything for me. Not to say that Mac Jones is the only quarterback in the NFL that's got an attitude problem. But this story is so glorious to me when you kind of come up with these ideas of a quarterback. Right, and maybe it sounds a bit biased, or I shouldn't be doing that for a quarterback in the NFL, but I think everybody has their dislike for a certain quarterback for different reasons. Right, For years, you hate Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Ben Roethlisberger because they won a lot of games, they were on a successful franchise. Sometimes it's off-field stuff, Right, not to bring up anything that's too sensitive here, but for a guy like Michael Vick with the dogfighting ring. He was a great player on the field, but some people are never going to like Michael Vick because of what he did. There's just guys in the league that you're not going to like them for some reasons. Very few of them, though, you can put into a box and say, I don't like them because of who they are as a person. It's because they're whiny. You know, sometimes you can dislike them because they're abrasive to the media. I mean, they're arrogant. They're cocky. I wouldn't say Mac Jones is cocky or arrogant. He just whines a lot. And this tweet from Dove Kleinman on Twitter basically insinuates that Mac Jones told coaches or they were informed to tell Patriots coaches don't be too hard on him because he'll be too critical of himself. I mean, that's stuff that you tell to a 10, 11, or a 12-year-old. And they're usually kids that don't make it that far in the sport. Not to say that the form of yelling is the right method of coaching. Right When you look at Little Leaguers or you look at Pee Wee football or AAU basketball that's nine and under, you always sort of scowl or you look down upon a coach who's screaming at kids who are in third and fourth grade. Like That is not the right way to coach. But those are nine-year-olds. These are ten-year-olds. You know, yelling is not going to work out for everybody. But there's always been that common agreement, I would say, that those kids that were pushed a little extra harder, sometimes they were ripped into, they eventually found a way to handle it, and it made them better for it. But the kids that couldn't really handle it, and sometimes you have you know, six, seven, eight coaches throughout your playing career from peewee football to high school or college if you wouldn't be on that. Sometimes there's a coach that's just an ass, 
He's yelling at guys for no reasons. He picks his favorites. He finds the guys he dislikes. That can be tough to deal with. But this is the NFL. Man, these are millionaires. And they're millionaire coaches. Right? They're going to be yelling. They're going to be screaming. Hell, we just had a story last week with Eric Bieniemy and LaShawn McCoy speaking illy of Eric Bieniemy, saying he was dog coaching everybody. He's yelling at Kelsey. He's yelling at every single player. And LaShawn McCoy, I guess, didn't like that. But LaShawn McCoy also has some credibility of being one of the better running backs of this generation. Didn't have a long lifespan, but which running back really does? But maybe LaShawn McCoy looked at that and said, hey, I'm a 2,000-yard rusher. I've been a great running back at this level. You can't talk to me that way. It may be not. It's maybe not the best approach. You don't want to hear that from a player that thinks he's maybe above the average practice player. You want every coach to maybe treat their players the same. They screw up the same. They make the same mistake. They're going to get the same criticism. It doesn't matter if you're making $35 million or you're making $2 million, right? You're going to be treated that way. Mac Jones has no right, and maybe he didn't even say this. Maybe it was a coach's on the staff saying, hey, maybe don't yell at him as much because that's only going to derail his success. Mac Jones doesn't have the longevity of success. He doesn't have a great track record in the NFL to maybe warrant that behavior. And I don't think any player really at this level warrants that behavior. How would you feel in Kansas City if it came out, if news leaked of Patrick Mahomes that he didn't like to be yelled at? He didn't like to be yelled at. He didn't like it when coaches criticized him. You know, if he's winning a lot, you kind of push it away, go, hell, coach him the way he wants to be coached because he's won two MVPs. He's won five division titles. He's won two Super Bowls. He has two Super Bowl MVPs. You maybe just go, all right, that sounds a little bit weak to me because these other guys, his teammates, they're the ones getting yelled at. You know, he can't put himself in a different category, and Patrick Mahomes never would. That's the thing because he likely considers himself just as equal to anybody else in the field. It's what makes the team very cohesive. But could you imagine being Mac Jones's teammate and going, hold on. So in practice, our coaches were informed not to be too critical of Mac Jones, and they can't yell at him because he'll crawl into a shell, but we'll have to bear the brunt of mistakes. You know, that to me feels a little bit unfair, and it's really unfair to grown-ass men here. It's a different story if Mac Jones is just getting berated personally at practice. And I highly doubt that. Some coaches are hard asses. That goes from high school, college to the NFL. Some guys just like to yell. That's their coaching method. We heard in Kansas City, Eric Bieniemy, and if you went to training camp in St. Joe, you saw that Eric Bieniemy, despite being more reserved and quiet in press conferences, he was a loud figure. He got into guys, but it ignited the fire in them. And I think for New England, you know, Mac Jones just doesn't have that same light of fire type of personality where you get into him, you coach him up, and he's going to go play better for it. Per this tweet, per the reports, per Henry McKenna, an AFC East reporter for Fox Sports, it's that he struggled getting yelled at, and that affected his performance in 2021 and in 2022. There shouldn't be exceptions just because you're a quarterback. And, hell, I think it would break up a team even if you had a talented quarterback. You know, go down to Arizona with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is a talented quarterback. Nobody can deny that. 
But remember the off-field distraction just because he liked to play Call of Duty? Because he was playing Call of Duty and not studying the playbook? Like, that can rub your teammates the wrong way. Though he's just living his life. There's no game to be played. He's just playing Call of Duty in his leisure time. Maybe he could be studying, but he's not going to be babysat for his entire career. He is a talented quarterback, though. Sometimes the rules can be bent for a talented player. Mac Jones just isn't very talented. And the fact New England is bending the rules a little bit in order for him to be successful, you can look at it positively or you can look at it completely negatively. I think anybody that's gone through the sports world, that you've played sports at any level, you've had at least one coach that has gotten into you. They were very critical. They were harsh. Sometimes were harsher than usual. But did you ever go to another coach and ask for a special treatment? Did you ever have another coach go to that head coach and ask for a special treatment for you? Or how would you feel in that matter? And I'll go one step further. How would you feel if that came out to your team? You'd hate it. You would try in every single way to deny those reports. And maybe Mac Jones will deny those reports. Maybe New England will deny these reports. But to me, it kind of fits him. It really does. Like, that will never leave my mind. When I think about Mac Jones, I'll go to that primetime game against Buffalo in Foxborough where he's jogging off the field after having his 15th or 16th errant pass in the game and then screaming at Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick, a Hall of Fame head coach, and saying, throw the effing football. You have no right to do that. No, there are better quarterbacks in this league than Mac Jones. Hell, there's a lot of them. You haven't seen Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Burrow, Lamar Jackson be caught on camera screaming at their coaches from a distance, by the way. We've seen coaches and OCs and quarterbacks get into it on the sideline. Now, Tom Brady did it for years, but Tom Brady has sort of warranted that behavior. He can do that. As bad as it is to say, when you win seven Super Bowls and you're that successful, who cares if you're humble or you're an ass? Who really cares? You're winning a lot of games. Clearly Tom Brady's got the respect, and maybe he gets that respect by fear rather than being a glorious teammate. All sunshine and rainbows on the sideline, all positive. Some guys just aren't that way. But when you don't win a lot of games and you're not very successful, I can't really say you can go through with this behavior. You're not going to get a lot of respect. There's not going to be a lot of guys that follow you. I mean, could you imagine that game against Buffalo when you're Ramondre Stevenson and you're averaging over five, six yards a carry and your quarterback is on the sideline screaming, we need to throw the effing football. They're going, what the hell did I do wrong? We're running the ball effectively. You're the one that's not performing well. It was a bad pick by New England back then. It's a bad pick now. You can miss me with the Pro Bowl talk that he got into the Pro Bowl his first year. We know how ridiculous and how stupid the Pro Bowl is. It sounds good to say you're a one-time Pro Bowler or a multiple-time Pro Bowler. All Pro is what really counts. And Mac Jones isn't ever going to be an All-Pro quarterback. Hell, if it wasn't for New England being in dire straits for a quarterback, I don't think he would have started anywhere else. Like New England had nobody when they drafted Mac Jones. And they bring in Cam Newton... Cam Newton plays for a little bit, and Cam Newton ain't it. And then it was Mac Jones, Brian Hoyer, 
and Bailey's happy. There's no competition there. And for years, New England just had this this structure. And I know we say it a lot on the show, but structure is such a big part of the NFL. They had it. They were the evil empire. They had Belichick. They had Brady. They didn't have to worry about it. Brady was their quarterback for 20 years. You didn't have to worry about who the next guy was. And sometimes, when you don't get your next replacement in time, you get stuck with a guy like this. Now, Mac Jones could lead to the New England Patriots to a postseason appearance every other year. No, they could go 10-7. and seven. They're never going to make it far because they're so limited at quarterback, and Mac Jones is never going to reach into that potential. That takes him to another level where he can win shootouts. New England will be successful in 2023 solely because of their defense. They've had games where they oddly score 45 or 50. It's never consistent enough. You put New England on the road in Cincinnati or in Buffalo or in Baltimore or in Miami in the postseason next year, you have any confidence they're winning that game? No. No, a lot needs to go right for Mac Jones to be a good quarterback in this league. And with this report now, with that leaking, I don't see how it's going to last much longer. Because Bill Belichick isn't going to put up with behavior like that, especially when you're a second-year quarterback. Like, to me, Mac Jones was that guy you just were supposed to dislike going into the NFL. No, he's from Alabama. On draft night, he became a meme. And then he's yelling at players. He's yelling at coaches. And he hasn't done much. Right? There's been guys that have underperformed. There have been guys that have become bust. And for some reason, Mac Jones and a lot of mocks going into his draft was slated to be in the top five. It was all smokescreen, though. And he fell to New England. And how fitting was that? And they went from Tom Brady to Mac Jones. He's not very athletic. He's undersized. Yeah, he's accurate. He doesn't have a very big arm, though. The other AFC quarterbacks are light years ahead of him. And there is a non-zero chance that with this current incoming draft class, with quarterbacks like Bryce Young, with quarterbacks like Will Levis, with quarterbacks like Anthony Richardson, those guys could surpass him in year one, depending where they go to. No, Chicago mentioned, or Chicago, it was reported out of Chicago, excuse me, that earlier today, they're going to go with Justin Fields as their quarterback in 2023. Take that with a grain of salt. Could be smokescreen. You always hear this coming into the NFL draft. But Houston drafts second. Maybe they get Bryce Young. I think Houston could have that type of system where Bryce Young could thrive and already become a better quarterback than Mac Jones. In a blink of an eye, you know, Mac Jones could become the 9th, 10th, or 11th best quarterback in the AFC. And then you have this type of stuff coming out. Boy, I mean, New England right now has a problem at quarterback, and until they really admit they were wrong, they're going to be stuck in the mud. They're not going to be better than Buffalo. They're not going to be better than Miami. Hell, imagine if Aaron Rodgers goes to New York. New England, by far and away, will be the worst team in that division by two or three games. New England can't return to that level of success until they admit they were wrong with their quarterback. Mac Jones is not their guy. They can lie to you and say he is the future, he is our guy. He's not mobile. He doesn't have a big arm. He doesn't seem to be very coachable. He's a limited quarterback. He can win you nine or ten games. You're not going anywhere in the postseason. New England won't sniff 
an AFC Championship game with Mac Jones. They could with somebody else, but until they admit that, New England's not going anywhere. Marco, with Mac Jones, I think more so than any other quarterback in the league, he just feels like that entitled quarterback. It's never my fault, it's the other guys. And I think we take for granted sometimes in Kansas City, and I'm sure Cincinnati fans feel the same way with Joe Burrow, feel the same way with Josh Allen in Buffalo, Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. Those are quarterbacks that take ownership of failures. When they play poorly, it's me first, it's not my teammates, it's not the play calling, it's not the coaches. Mac Jones, despite not having that much success early on in his career, it's never his fault. And now we get a report where they were reported, or coaches were told, instructed to not be as hard on Mac Jones to avoid him being too critical of himself because that happened in 2021 and it affected his play. Does Mac Jones have any right to be treated differently than his teammates? I mean, this feels like a disastrous situation if it is to snowball into something bigger than this. No, he doesn't because at the end at the end of the day, although you are the quarterback, you have to have that mindset that everybody is of equal, um, and that includes your teammates and coaches. So, no, I'll never. Uh, I, I won't. I I I I I I, I don't know. So, I, to answer your first question, um, he shouldn't. He shouldn't see himself or act like that. He can't be. Um, held uh, accountable for mistakes in games, and he should take all uh, criticism with um, an open ear and a mindset of wanting to get better as a quarterback. Because at the end of the day, you have da- you have you you have more doubters than maybe some of the other quarterbacks along in that first round draft class. Um, a lot of doubters though um, for those quarterbacks uh, from that from that year. But uh, either way, though, I. Kind of don't blame him though for being frustrated, um, in in a sense because I'm not gonna say coddled. I, I don't think coddled is the right word to uh, right, right word to use here. But at the end of the day, he was um, coached by the best to do it in college football, the best that's doing it right now in Nick Saban. But also his role in that offense. That's why that's why people doubted Mac Jones so much is because or doubt or doubt or were so. Uh, we're just kind of head scratching at why uh, the Patriots took him at, at the spot of where he did because they were just nothing special about him. He was as bland as a quarterback as you could have, but at the end of the day, he was placed around all these weapons and in such a great offensive system that he truly is a system quarterback. And so, uh, at the end of the day, you could, the Patriots knew what they were drafting. I just don't think they've done well around him as far as coaching because Jack's, I, Jack, I almost called you Jackson. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm not your parent. Um, I'll ask you this. Who was the Patriots offensive coordinator this year? It was Patricia, but he, he, he was just there. But he exa- wasn't calling the plays. <laughs> exactly. They, and what was Matt Patricia's role before – before as a coordinator before uh, or I guess before as an offensive coordinator and before he was a head coach uh, in Detroit was it a quarterbacks coach huh no he was a defensive coordinator defensive coordinator for the for the Patriots if I'm right so um I mean, damn it now I gotta check myself <laughs> on that one because I don't I want to say he was all right maybe if he was the offensive coordinator no he was a defensive coordinator from 2012 to 2017 thank you marco's old mind for uh remembering (laughs) that because i was so odd when detroit hired him and then they brought him back as offensive coordinator so he hasn't had a true offensive coach offensive coordinator since he was in college where he was on the best uh when he was quarterbacking the best offense in the nation so 
this Bill O'Brien hire, I think, is a good one and a movement in the right direction for New England because Mac Jones is the future quarterback that you have there, um, but you also have a nice piece in Bailey Zappi that you mentioned. So, no, he should not he should not be uh, complaining um, or um, as being as vocal with the criticism because you're just not there yet. But I understand that you haven't that you're definitely in not the same place that you were when you were in college when talking about offensive mind and being surrounded by offensive specialists. So Bill O'Brien, who was the uh, quarterbacks coach and OC down in Alabama these last two seasons, he comes in now um, as a Nick Saban uh, coaching tree branch. I really want to just describe it. So maybe there's something there, but. Now it, you're just it, you're not at that level yet, bro. So just don't worry. They're they're trying to help you, is what these moves are suggesting. So um, you're stuck right now. You're going to be the future of this team. Um, it's it, it's yeah. It, they didn't they didn't do well building around him, and I think they're finding that finding that out now. If you gave me an over under for years that Mac Jones will continue to be the quarterback for the New England Patriots, I'd set it at one and a half. And I think I'd take the under. I think Mac Jones gets 2023, and if he doesn't perform well, I think that's it. I don't know how you can look at Mac Jones. He's also not a young guy. Like He was one of the veteran rookies of the draft when he was taken in 2020, I believe that was. Or it was 2021. I think it was the 2021 NFL draft, if I'm not yes, mistaken. Yes, yeah, it was 2021 it was, yeah. NFL draft. He was one of the older guys. And he was a guy at Alabama that really benefited from an insane receiving core. And good friend of the show, Blake Schneider's, is probably the most vocal in saying that Alabama quarterbacks are terrible and they're just never going to be that guy. Maybe Bryce Young can break that curse or the bad string of Alabama quarterbacks because when you have that good of a head coach, that many great weapons around you, a great offensive line, a great defense, you're not always asked to be a stud. You know, you have Greg McElroy, you have A.J. McCarron, you know, Tua Tunga Viola. Now, Jalen Hurts maybe is the exception. But does he consider himself an Alabama Crimson Tide member, or does he consider himself an Oklahoma Sooner? And once he left Alabama, he was fantastic at Oklahoma. And now we see he can be an MVP type of quarterback in the NFC with the Philadelphia Eagles. But Mac Jones, I'm just not on board, man. I don't think he's going to be in New England much longer. And this story only speeds things up in that process. We'll take our first break of the show. When we come back, Joe Lunardi put out his most recent bracketology. Kansas is still not in the Midwest region. But they have an 8-9 matchup, and it's somebody they've already played earlier this year. We'll get into that next on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on the shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. So we're going to do this probably every week leading up to Selection Sunday and previewing or going over Joe Lunardi's most recent bracketology, keeping up to where Kansas is, where Kansas State is, and where Missouri is. So we'll go down the list here. We won't go through every single region. We'll pretty much just touch on where Kansas, Kansas State, and Missouri are. But we will start with the top overall seed. Joe Lunardi has the Alabama Crimson Tide, the top team in the SEC, as the number one overall seed over Houston and Kansas. As for the first team out, 
He has the North Carolina Tar Heels, the runner-up in last year's national championship game when they fell to the Kansas Jayhawks, although Carolina has won back-to-back games when they needed it most. They got their first quad one win and quad or they got two quad one wins in these last two games. They most recently beat Florida State last night. The last team in he has is Arizona State, who won on a buzzer beater, a half-court buzzer beater against Arizona this past weekend. As for the last four buys, he has Memphis, West Virginia, Nevada, and Auburn. The last four in, he has Mississippi State, Boise State, Wisconsin, and, of course, Arizona State. The three other first four out teams, which included North Carolina, he has Oklahoma State, Clemson, and Michigan. The next four out, he has Utah State, Charleston, Penn State, and Texas Tech, who goes up against Kansas tonight at Allen Fieldhouse with a chance to maybe put themselves back in the running, back in contention. They will need to upset Kansas if they want any chance, but of course the Jayhawks are going for at least a share of the Big 12 title tonight. They win, and they will do just that. As for where the local teams are stacking up, we'll start with the Kansas Jayhawks, who are not the number one seed in the Midwest region just yet. That will go to Houston. Unless Houston is to lose, I think the common perception is that Kansas will be stuck in either the West or the East. The problem is Kansas is going to have a gauntlet over these next two weeks. You know, you do get Texas Tech at home tonight, but then on Saturday you have to go on the road to Texas. And if Texas wins against TCU in Fort Worth, That would basically dictate if Texas finishes second or at least clinches a share. So Kansas would be playing on Saturday for a chance to win the conference outright if Texas is to win in Fort Worth. If Kansas wins against Texas Tech tonight and Texas loses to TCU, I believe, tomorrow night, that would mean that that game on Saturday really has no implications. Kansas wins the conference outright. They would only be trying to win that conference by two or three games. But unless Kansas runs the table, wins out these final two, and then wins the Big 12 tournament, I'm not sure they leapfrog Houston. And that's unfortunate for Kansas because that is a massive swing and being in the Midwest as opposed to the West. They'd either be playing the Sweet 16 Elite Eight games if they were to make it in Kansas City other than, or rather than Las Vegas. So right now, Joe Lenardi has Kansas as the number one seed in the Las Vegas region, the West region, which they'd play their first round in Des Moines. And then if they were to make it, they'd have to go to Las Vegas instead of Kansas City. So here's who Kansas would have if this were to be the bracket. They would get Texas A&M Corpus Christi as the 16th seed. And then how about this 8-9 matchup? The 8-9 in the West region, per Joe Lunardi right now, is Missouri as the eight and Rutgers as the nine. So that is the mystery team, as we pointed out before the break, that Kansas has already faced. So how about that potential matchup if it were to happen? Missouri beating Rutgers and Kansas moving past Texas A&M Corpus Christi, setting up a 1v8 in Des Moines and a rematch of the border war that happened earlier this year. I still have my hesitation in Joe Lunardi picking a Kansas State or Missouri being in Kansas's region, I've seen projections. We saw Kansas State in that region with Kansas, I believe, in our last projection. We have not seen Missouri yet. I just have my doubts that the committee would set up a matchup that early in the NCAA tournament. No, Missouri, I think, will still be an 8 or a 9. I'm just not sure they'll put them in the same region 
as the Kansas Jayhawks. As for the other teams in the West region, per Joe Lenardi, he's got St. Mary's as the 5, VCU as the 12. Boy, that just brings up bad memories if you're a Kansas fan because that VCU team that beat them in San Antonio in 2011 was a 11 seed. So not much of a different VCU team other than not having Shaka Smart as the head coach. The 4 seed he has in the West region is Virginia going up against the 13-seeded Hofstra Pride. The sixth seed he has is Iowa State, who, man, I'm, I'd i be hard-pressed to make a case at Iowa State being a six at this point. You know, Iowa State fell again last night at home to West Virginia at Hilton. They've now dropped three of their last four at Hilton Coliseum. They're probably going to have 13 or 14 losses going into the tournament. That's not a six seed. That is maybe a 10 or an 11 seed. And there is still, I think, an outside chance that Iowa State maybe doesn't make it. If they lose out, ooh, it'll be a, it'll be a bubble watch team to sure for Iowa State. But they're not going to be a six right now. Though Joe Lunardi has the clones of the six seed playing in Columbus against 11 seeded Auburn. Auburn last year was the overachieving team that everybody kind of saw through, being a bit fraudulent. They were the two seed and got bounced by Iowa State in the second round, I believe, of the tournament. Second or they got bounced in the second round, I know by some. It was Miami, excuse me. Miami beat Auburn in the second round, and Miami went on to play Iowa State in the Sweet 16, and Miami moved on to the Elite Eight and then played Kansas, where they would eventually lose. He then has Gonzaga as the three seed, Toledo as the 14, and the two seed in the region he has is UCLA. The seven seed would be the Maryland Terrapins, the 10 seed would be the West Virginia Mountaineers. On paper, that would be an incredible region for Kansas, with the exception of it being the West region. If you got this draw and you were in the Midwest, that's about as good as you can get. I'm not sure there could be a better region for Kansas to play in, with Virginia being the four. I think Virginia is a bit weak. They don't score at a very high rate. They never really have under Tony Bennett. No, if Iowa State was somehow your six, I think you'll take that because Iowa State's probably the seventh or eighth best roster in the Big 12. I mean, Maryland is a seven is scary, but you wouldn't see them until the Elite Eight if you got there. UCLA is the two. They're fine. They're in the Pac-12, though. They have not been challenged that much this year. And then as your three seed, you'd get Gonzaga. And I think everybody's on board with Gonzaga's never really been a scary top seed in the NCAA tournament. So with the exception of it being in the West region, this is the type of region you want if you're Kansas. Now, Missouri of late... I think is far, far, far more improved than when they first met back in December, Kansas and Missouri, that is. This will be a much better Missouri team. I think they're better defensively. But still, when we looked at the last projection that Joe Lunardi had about a week ago, the 8-9 matchup was Arkansas and Iowa. That is not a good 8-9 matchup for anybody in the NCAA tournament. Now, some things to point out from that matchup. Arkansas still has to play Tennessee on the road and Kentucky to close out the year, then the SEC tournament. They're not going to be favored to beat Tennessee. They may be favored to beat Kentucky, but Kentucky's hot right now. So the Razorbacks could have 12 losses going into the NCAA tournament. That's not going to put them at an 8 or 9 seed. They could slide down to a 10 or 11. As for Missouri, they could climb. Now, I could see Missouri moving as high as a 6 or a 7 seed. It's still a baffling thing that they're not ranked in the top 25. But Missouri would be a tough out for somebody as an 8-9. The thing is, though, I'm not sure Missouri is a great matchup 
against Kansas. That That's kind of where the hang-up is here. Missouri thrives on being overly aggressive, trying to run teams out of the gym, but Kansas cannot run them. They're better in transition. They're better at rebounding. And we saw in that first meeting in December, Missouri couldn't defend Kansas. And Kansas is only better at that point. Missouri is better as well. But I just think it's a bad matchup for Missouri. I think if you're a Missouri fan like Marco is, you want to be an 8 or 9, probably more so a 7 or a 6 seed, of course. You want to be a higher seed anyways. But if you were to be an 8 or a 9, I think you'd want to draw a Purdue or maybe even an Alabama. I hesitate in having Missouri playing Alabama because I don't think they'll put two SEC teams to meet in the first weekend. But I think you want to have Purdue as your 8-9. I know Zach Eady's there, the projected player of the year. He's seven foot four. Missouri doesn't really have a guy that could defend Zach Eady. You could put Kobe Brown on him. Oh, man, I don't know if I like a 6-7 guy going up against a 7-4, but you can double him. And we saw against Northwestern with a smaller lineup, they doubled Zach Eady, and he turned the ball over a handful of times because the scrappier guys, the lower they are on him, he just wasn't able to get great position on them. He was kind of playing outside the block because he was being hounded so much by much smaller guys. But I think if you're Missouri, I would salivate at a Purdue matchup. Now, Purdue may not even be a number one seed anymore. I think the locks are Alabama, Kansas, and Houston. Maybe that number one seed is up for grabs. Maybe UCLA gets it. But for Missouri, I don't think you'd want that 1-8 matchup versus Kansas because of what happened back in that December meeting. But I'm going to flip it, Marco. I think if you are Missouri and you do kind of lock into that eight seed, I think the one team that you absolutely want would be a Purdue type of team. Though they would have the National Player of the Year, it's a team that's kind of struggling of late. They're slipping up. You don't want an Alabama because you would have seen them then three times, maybe four, including the SEC tournament. That's tough to beat a team two times in a year, three times in a year. It's just not as likely. You don't want Houston because though they're playing in a lesser conference like the American, they've still been damn good this year, and Ken Palm loves Houston. And I don't think you want Kansas because Kansas is just a bad matchup for you. But would you like that matchup with Purdue, or is it kind of at this point for you, Marco, hey, you're in, you'd be an 8 or a 9, I don't really care who we draw because we're going to be an underdog either way? Uh, Purdue would be is the most appealing one, although I feel like I'd rather take a – if um, if I'm if I'm Missouri, I would rather take the Rutgers matchup in that eight nine game than have to play Pittsburgh, who's yeah. been a real good team uh, over there on the on the east side of the country. So um, it's funny you brought up the mismatch that Purdue has against uh, Missouri. Um, my first the first matchup that came to my head was well, if Missouri does go up against Purdue team. I would want to go back and look on the film from the Arkansas game because Arkansas is one of the taller uh, taller rosters in the SEC. Missouri played them tough in the first half, the first time the two teams met um, earlier this season. So, um, and I think they split the series this year. But yeah, uh, Purdue, you don't get Bill Self on the other side on the other side as a coach or going up against, which I think is already a thing that most coaches would take in an NCAA tournament game, not having to go up against Bill Self. Two, Kansas, I mean, they showed their dominance early on the season when Missouri was playing some of their best basketball. Um, So that's another thing. Missouri, even when they're having their best game, Kansas can. uh, They just have more firepower, and once again, coaching matters. So Missouri – they're a team that they need to be going up against an opponent that they can get back in the games against. And so Purdue, I think, 
is one of those teams where Missouri they do so well shooting the three point shot that if they're doing if they're hot early on that is a great start for the Tigers against Purdue rather than against the Kansas team. So I think that that's another thing that plays in the hand there. The, the lengthiness um, that Purdue has, it doesn't concern me as much. Um, if anything, I'm more worried about that one seed right there. That's mm-hmm. next. I'm, I'm more scared of the number than the team itself. So uh, that's where I lie with it. But, again, Missouri, that 8-9 matchup against Rutgers is more appealing, though, than a game against Arkansas or Pittsburgh. Um, but uh, but uh, but then again, got to win in order to get to that game against what would be um, most likely Purdue. So, yes, it would take them as a uh, one-seed matchup for an eight-seed Tigers and a Kansas team. You know, I think the funniest thing about the NCAA tournament is we'll sit here and we'll project Sweet 16 matchups, Elite 8 matchups, and it's really about getting out of that first weekend. I will always say, and this is being a Kansas guy, And I think you would know the same as well being a Missouri guy because you've had those first weekend exits. That arguably can be the toughest weekend, with the exception, of course, of being in the Final Four when you have a damn good team you're going up against, but it's the pressure you're facing. You know, we want to say a 1-8 matchup, Kansas versus Missouri. you got to get past Rutgers, and you got to get past a team like Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. You can't overlook teams like that because when you overlook teams, all it takes is one bad night. It takes one off night in the NCAA tournament, and you're going home. Your season's over. And it may seem like it's all sunshine and rainbows now. Kansas playing really well. Missouri playing really well. Kansas State playing well. I mean, it's across the board. These teams are thriving at the right time. But all it takes is one off night. As for the Kansas State Wildcats, how about this? They have them as the number two seed in the East region, with Purdue being the one. So you have Purdue as the one, you have Miami as the five, UConn as the four, Tennessee is the three, and Kansas State is the two. Let me tell you this. If Kansas State draws this region, they're going to make a deep run. Not just because it's Purdue, but you look at the first weekend. So Kansas State would get Vermont. Vermont is sneaky out of the American East. They were a 13 seed last year, so Vermont's always hanging around the 13, 14, 15 seed type of region. So that can concern you, getting one of those teams that just loves to fire it from deep. You know, they get hot, they hit 11 or 12 three-pointers in the game, maybe you're in a dogfight in the end of it. But if Kansas State gets past a first-weekend matchup like a Vermont, or you get past somebody like an Eastern Washington, or you get past a Youngstown State, they get a 7-10 matchup with Michigan State and Florida Atlantic. Michigan State, yes, you got Tom Izzo, Hall of Fame head coach, Yes, they are notoriously known as a blue blood, but they're not the same Michigan State teams anymore. They're tough, they're physical, they're gritty, but they're not really good Michigan State teams anymore. They're not Michigan State teams that are pulling in five stars left and right. No, they're okay. They're just not one of the better teams in the Big Ten this year. And Florida Atlantic, though they were ranked in the top 25 at one point, they don't play in a good conference. So Kansas State could get out of that first weekend in Des Moines and get to the Sweet 16 and then face either a Creighton, Nevada, Tennessee, or Furman. Tennessee used to concern me, used to be a very terrifying team. Not so much anymore. They've lost to Florida. They've lost to Vanderbilt. They're not a super high-powered octane offense. They've been swept by Kentucky. Like If you're Kansas State, I think you would be more than happy with this type of region. You know, UConn is the four. They started the season in the top five. 
They've kind of hung around 10 to 20 range. You know, Miami, they're the five. Maybe a rematch game against Nigel Pack. But Miami still is not a team that I'm super high on. This would be a best-case scenario type of region if you're Kansas State. To hold on to that two seed, I think they need to win out in the regular season and then maybe grab one game in the Big 12 tournament. That should almost lock it in. So you got to beat Oklahoma at home on senior night, then you got to go into Morgantown and beat West Virginia. You do that, and then you beat a West Virginia again or an Oklahoma State in the first round, then lose to a Baylor or a Texas you know, or a Kansas, something like that. They're not going to bump you off the two seed. You'd finish the season then at 25-8. and eight. You'd be 25-8 and eight going to the NCAA tournament. I think with your Ken Palm rating, I think with your quad one wins, Kansas State gets the two region. And if you get a region like this in the East, with the Sweet 16 Elite Eight being in New York, Purdue is your one, Tennessee is your three, UConn is your four, Miami is your five. That would be a dream scenario for the Kansas State Wildcats. So right now, per Joe Lunardi, he's got Kansas State as a two-seed in the East. He's got Kansas as the one in the West and Missouri as the eight-seed in the West. We'll revisit this next week and see where all three of the local teams are matching up. But right now, let's wrap up the show with some Factor Fiction. Five questions, five takes, and under five minutes, Marco Fireway. Jack, Factor Fiction, Mac Jones is cut by New England before 2024. See, I said it in the segment earlier. I don't think he's going to be the quarterback after 2023-2024 season. I think going into the 2024 season, he's not going to be the quarterback anymore because I don't think he's going to overperform or outperform his expectations. And New England's smart. They're a well-run organization. They know for them to get any further in this AFC East race and get back to some sort of relevancy, you got to move on from Mac Jones. Factor fiction, New England finishes last in the AFC East in 2023. I'm going to go factor. I think Miami's going to be better. I think the Jets will be better. And I think Buffalo will win that division. Miami will give them a run for its money, but right now I think New England is the least talented group. they got the best coach. But I think right now it's going to come down to quarterback play. I'm sorry to say it. I don't mean to be too harsh or harp too much on Mac Jones. This is a quarterback league. You don't have one. You have a guy with a limited ceiling. You're not going to finish higher than third in your division. Factor fiction, KU and Missouri will be in the same region. I think it's a pipe dream at this point. I really do. I just don't see they're going to put a matchup of Kansas and Missouri in the second round. Not that early. Hey, I could be wrong. You never know what's going on in the committee's mind. I just feel like Missouri is actually going to bump up. I think Kansas will be a one, and I think Missouri will finish around a seven seed, which then would put a very unlikely matchup if they were to meet in the Sweet 16 of the Elite. I think it would be an Elite if they were a seven seed. But if they're in the same region, uh, I'm going to doubt that. I'm going to go fiction. I think it will be that Missouri will be in the West. I think Kansas is going to get the Midwest because I think they're going to finish out with all wins in the regular season and the conference tournament. Factor fiction, UCLA grabs a number one seed from Purdue. I'm going to go fact on this. Purdue is really slumping. I think Purdue will also lose pretty early on in the Big Ten tournament. They just don't excite me anymore. UCLA, uh, they had a nail-biting win in Boulder against Colorado over the weekend. They don't really excite me either, but UCLA's in the top five. I think they're going to leapfrog Purdue before it's all said and done. And lastly, Factor Fiction, K-State makes it out of the first weekend. If they get that region, absolutely. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that Kansas State makes it out of the first weekend. For me, though, it's about that first matchup. I think if Kansas State gets out of that first matchup, whether it be a 15 or a 14 seed, they're going to beat whoever they meet in the second round. It's just kind of the, the role they get on. When they beat a team like that and they have no pressure, 
they're going to win that game. And even though they'd be a two or three seed, they've over-exceeded their expectations. So I'm going to go fact. I do think Kansas State makes it to at least the Sweet 16 this year because of who they have with Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel, and they just need that third guy to emerge. I think that guy can be Naquan Tomlin. There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City. And don't you come back.